Hey guys, how's everybody doing tonight? So this would normally be the time where I introduce the guest speaker, but surprise, surprise, the guest speaker is me. So I'm going to introduce myself. I don't know if I want to stand like down here or if I want to stand up here. Okay, I'm going to stand up here. You guys can sit down, have a seat. Um, if you are in the back row, in these two rows, can you guys fill in over here? Because it looks really empty, and the people here are lonely. I can feel it in my heart. So people in the back row, in this row, this row, can you guys move in over here? Look at, look at how lonely these people are. We want them to make friends, too. So, so you can scoot on over. Or, or these people, scoot up. Scoot up and sit in the same row. Yeah. Nice. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Man, I can't believe tonight is the first Emmaus large group. Oh, it's so good to see everyone's faces today. Um, my name is Rona, and I am the campus director of SNU. Jayvat, did you need to say something? Oh, okay. Um, my name is Rona, and I am the campus director of SNU. Um, and if um, you're new to Emmaus, if you've never been here before, I just want to welcome you officially to our campus ministry. Um, we're starting a new campus plant at SNU, but also at Korea University. We've been at Yonsei for the past, I don't know, five, seven years. It was under a different name back then as well. And so um, at SNU, it's all very new. So I want to welcome you guys and say that you are the first um, people to ever sit at the first Emmaus large group here. So you're kind of, you're kind of important. Welcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, my name is Rona and, um, pastor Erin was actually supposed to preach tonight. She was actually supposed to be here tonight. And some of you guys, um, know pastor Erin and some of you have never met her. Some of you only hear about her. Like she's this like crazy, amazing pastor, but who is this lady, right? Because we talk about her a lot. Um, but for those of you who don't know Pastor Aaron, I'm just going to give you a quick introduction to Pastor Aaron because it's important. Um, she's actually the director of Amaze Campus Ministry, um, the whole thing. So I'm the campus director here, but she is overseeing us at Yonsei, SNU, and Korea University. And she's also the woman that carries the vision of this ministry. And if it weren't for her, none of the staff, none of you guys would be here today. So she's awesome. Um, she is co-lead pastoring New Philly Church with her husband, Pastor Christian Lee. And New Philly is actually the church that Emmaus is under. So um, if you guys go to an English-speaking ministry already, or if you're attending a church, um, that's awesome. But if you aren't, then New Philly is actually a good place to connect to a church community. This isn't a church community. This is a campus ministry. So make sure that, you know, you're connecting to a church family as well. Um, but New Philly oversees Emmaus. And... Um, Really, like, Emmaus exists because of her. And where we've come today, it's because she's been carrying so much of her heart and releasing it um, to the staff. And um, for me personally, um, she asked that I share my testimony with you guys and a, a short message. So um, to start with, I can't start my story without talking about Pastor Christian and Aaron. Because um, if it weren't for Pastor Christian and Pastor Aaron, I wouldn't be here. Um, they chose to lay down their lives in surrender and in love to God. And because of that, I am a new creation and I know Jesus. And if it weren't for their obedience in the Lord, um, I wouldn't be doing this right now. So um, five years ago when I was a college student, Pastor Christian was actually the first person to ever believe in me. When I was the most um, grumpy, depressed, 
broken, like, emo of my life, the most unlovable, um, he actually, that's when he took me in. That's when he believed in me. And um, when I didn't even know who I was yet, he saw destiny and purpose. And and he saw something inside me. And he showed me what it was meant to receive love, what it meant to receive love from God as a father for the first time in my life. Um, Pastor Aaron took over after that. And um, she set such an example of what obedience and surrender and devotion and faith means. And uh, she challenged me to grow and to mature and to become more of the woman that God had called me to be. She raised me from being just a child to a minister of the Lord, to know my identity in God and to mature. And uh, she challenges me and the rest of the MA staff to believe for the impossible every single day. And so even though Pastor Aaron is not here tonight, um, know that I and um, the staff here, if your staff raise your hand, We carry her heart in our hearts. And so when you see us, it's like she's here. And um, I know that she wants you guys to know that she is for you, that she believes in you, and she loves you, that her hearts are to see you guys prosper this semester. And so, yeah, she loves you guys very much. If you see her on campus, she looks like a college student or even younger, and she's really small and cute. So, um, but that is Pastor Erin. So welcome her, honor her, love her. She's amazing. So... Yeah, it's our first large group at SNU, and as I share my story with you, um, I'm also going to share what Emmaus Campus Ministry is in the first place. I think that's a good place to start, Um, because I sat down with a couple of you the first week of classes, and um, we've been doing a lot of various events, so I can understand the confusion, Um, and also Emmaus is really new at SNU, so I understand the confusion, but some of you guys are like, what is Emmaus? Like, what do you do? What is this all about? Like, what is it? And I can tell everyone's really confused. So um, we're actually not about Gogi only, or Lotte World only, or basketball only. Those are just some events we've been doing, but what we do is actually um, something a little bit different. It's inclusive of all those things, though. And um, so what is Emmaus all about? Um, these questions make a lot of sense, and I hope that this message I preach, I'm actually going to share about what makes Emmaus Emmaus. And so it's a really simple, simple message, um, and I'm going to tie my story in with that, because I'm here today because of my Emmaus Road experience as a student. Um, So to start, please open your Bibles to Luke 24, Luke chapter 24, and follow along with me as I read. Okay, so if you go to Luke 24, um, starting with verse 13, you can actually see that the little subheading says, On the Road to Emmaus. And this is how we got our name, all right? So if you want to know what, what our name means, why we named it, what we did, and what we do, this is going to be a clear picture for you guys. If you are at that passage, please make eye contact with me. And if you don't have a Bible, it's all good. Don't worry. (laughs) Just listen to me as I read, all right? Luke 24, starting with verse 13. All right, I see eye contact. All right, let's go. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they walked 
As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them said, one of them named Cleopas, Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do you not know the things that have happened um, there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just the women, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it was nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So this is where we get our passage, where we get our name. Um, this is what Emmaus is about. And so I'm just going to, um, for those of you who are returning Emmaus students, I know you guys get the Road to Emmaus sermon every start of the semester, um, but God does something new in his word each time because his word is living and active. And I think that um, for the new students, it's going to give you a clear picture of what our ministry looks like and the heart of what we do. Um, and so I'm going to pray real quick. Bow your heads with me. <clears throat> God, I just thank you for uh, this passage of scripture, and I thank you that, God, um, you want us to go on a journey with you tonight, that you want us to go on a journey with you where um, we can bring all of our questions, we can bring all of our fears and our doubts, and God, I thank you that truth has no um, worry or fear of being examined, and I thank you that your word is true, that Jesus, you are true, and you are the one who can set us free. You are the one who has the answer to all of our questions. Yours is the heart that we are looking for tonight, God, and so um, as we look through this this um, passage, God, I pray that that you will anoint it, that you will anoint each word that leaves my mouth, and that, God, you will show us what it means to really encounter Christ um, again and again and again, that it's not a one-time thing, but it's a daily thing, God. And will you burn our hearts anew for this Jesus that we love? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, this story picks up with two disciples walking on a road. Back then, they didn't have cars or motorcycles or buses. They're just walking along. Two disciples, and um, it picks up with Jesus kind of popping into their conversation, and they have no idea who he is. And um, this Jesus 
this man who created the heavens and the earth, the man who was prophesied about all throughout the Old Testament until that moment, the man who claimed to be the son of God, the man who walked and ate with prostitutes and sinners when he was alive and doing ministry on the earth, this man who healed the sick and raised the dead, this man who was obedient to die a death on the cross for our sins and our shame so that we could be reunited with the Father, um, this man... His tomb was empty, and he was just hopping around talking to people, right? Three days after this man's death, um, no one knew what was going on. And there was a lot of confusion in the land because these men, they were his disciples, which means he, they hung out with Jesus. They heard him talk about what was going to happen, but they still didn't know what was going on. They were really confused. So our story picks up with two men walking and talking together, and they were walking toward a town called Emmaus. Everybody say Emmaus. Good. Now you know the name of our ministry. All right. And this man, this Jesus, came up beside them and asked, basically, in our lang- language today, hey, what's up? What's going on with you guys? What are you talking about? What's, what's on your heart? What's, what's up? Right? Um, and these men, known as his disciples, um, they, they stopped in the middle of their path. They're walking, 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 and he comes alongside them and says, what are you guys talking about? And then they literally just stop. Okay, so if you're walking on the street and someone comes alongside you, you're not going to stop unless something is really important, right? There's people, okay, by the way, by the dorms, there are a lot of cults and they, they do it all the time. Like whatever Jesus just said, they do that too. They walk alongside you and they get you to stop, but don't stop. You can keep walking. Okay. You don't have to stop for them. But, um, when Jesus came up, they didn't recognize who he was, but they did stop because something was weighing really heavy on their hearts. He said, what are you guys talking about? What's on your heart? And they stopped walking, and their faces were downcast. The Bible says their faces were downcast. They stopped, right? They completely didn't recognize that Jesus was the one talking to them. Um, but they were completely upset. They were, um, they were disappointed because they had really hoped that this Jesus was the real deal. They had really put their hope finally, in this man. And um, just like it had happened probably each time in their lives, and just like it happens in our lives over and over and over, when we put our hope in something, oftentimes people let us down. Things let us down, and we're disappointed. We're disillusioned. We're let down. Promises are broken, right? And so in the same way, their faces were downcast because they were expecting something to come of this Jesus. They had heard enough to know, man, I want to put my hope in him. And whenever he um, didn't follow through in the way that they thought he should, they were so disappointed, enough to stop um, and look disappointed in front of him. Because of this Jesus, um, because he was dead, their hope was dead with him. And you see, these men knew of Jesus. They knew about Jesus. Uh, they knew something, some of the things that Jesus promised to do. Um, I think a lot of the Jews were expecting him to come back as this crazy, powerful a military general or a, a social or political hero to, to conquer all the surrounding kingdoms and to give the, the Jews a better name, right? But that's not how Jesus came, and that's not how he rolled when he was on the earth, right? And so a lot of people were disappointed and confused, especially when he died a shameful death on the cross for us. And so... Um, even though they knew a lot about Jesus, they didn't really know him. They didn't really know him, the man, Jesus Christ. Because if they knew him, they would not have been so disappointed. 
If they really knew him, they wouldn't have been so downcast. If they really knew his heart, they wouldn't have been depressed. They would have recognized that this man that came alongside them, they would have recognized that he was the Messiah and he was risen. And everything he said would have begun to make sense to them. They would have known his face, but they didn't know Jesus the man. They knew only about him. And so... Um, I think that that's my story as I came to Emmaus. Um, I, I, like, I knew about Jesus my whole life, but in, as far as really knowing his heart, I, I was far from it. And I think that's a story of so many Christians and so many cultural Christians and so many people who are born into Christian families and, and so many people who also aren't Christian, but they've heard enough about this Christian thing to have an idea. And you may know about him, you may know of him, but do you really know this man, Jesus? And that's the question that these men had to wrestle with as well. So at this moment, um, when Jesus came alongside them on the road to Emmaus, this is the point in time. Uh, they didn't know it, but it's the point in time when their lives would never be the same. And you know, it's crazy that um, our lives, sometimes those watershed moments, those like crazy moments of breakthrough and change, they happen in the most simple, mundane moment in time. And you have no idea when that moment is. Like, it could be right now. So wake up. <laughs> you know what? You don't even know. You don't even know what God is doing. You don't even know what he's doing right now in this moment. And these men are just walking from one place to another. They're probably thinking, you know, what's for dinner? I'm so hungry. My sandals are dirty and breaking. My feet hurt. My back is, you know, like, oh, this Jesus never rose from the dead. They have no idea that right now their lives are changing. This is the moment when they will never be the same again. Right now. Okay? And, um, man, isn't that crazy? Okay. So, um, I need to stick to my notes. I'm sorry. <laughs> you see, <laughs> because the thing is, even if you don't recognize Jesus, um, even if you don't know who he is, he knows who you are. He has known you and he has planned this little meeting, this little rendezvous on the street, on the road to Emmaus from before the foundations of the earth were laid. And you may think you just walked into a coincidence or a I just happened to be walking near the language institute talking, speaking in English with my Costa Rican sister. And then, and then, and then this like random half white, half Korean girl came up to me and hands me an Emmaus flyer. You know, it's no big deal. It's just another day. It's just another chance encounter, but it could be the thing that changes your life forever. And that's exactly my story as well. It's a story of these two men, and it's a story of every person in this Bible. They never expected to encounter God in the way that they did, but he shows up in the unexpected and in surprise ways. And so um, that's what happened with these men. Um, because the thing is, if you can't have any type of encounter with Jesus, with the real deal, Jesus, and not leave changed completely. And so if you think you know this Jesus, and if you think I've grown up in church, I've read all the stuff, like my parents told me to pray, like, no, 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 but you have not been radically changed, then you need to think about, do you really know who Jesus is? Do you? Do you know about him? Do you know of him? Have people around you known him? But do you know him? Because when I came to Korea, I thought I knew Jesus, and I really didn't. Um, that's really my story, is the story of these two men. Uh, walking on the road, they were broken and downcast, disillusioned with life. And uh, that was me about five years ago. 
Five years ago to this day, almost, I'm five years old in the faith, basically. I'm like, you know, going to kindergarten. Woohoo. All right, so, um, <laughs> yeah, so spring of 2008 is my MA semester. I was a college sophomore studying abroad for one semester at Yonsei University. Um, just like these two men, if anyone were to come up beside me and ask, you know, what's going on and what's up with you, like, how's your life, I would have also responded in the same way dejected, downcast, disillusioned. Um, my hope was dead. And even if I put on a facade of strength and perfection and, and whatever for people, inside, I could no longer feel my heart. It was completely numb. I could not feel emotion at that point. And um, I had really lost who I was. I didn't know anything about Rona anymore. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I was interested in. I had no passion. I had no purpose. And I tried so hard to muster and create all this stuff by myself. But in terms of really knowing me, I had no idea. I had lost myself. I didn't know what the point of my existence was. Like, why am I even here? What's my purpose in living? Is it just to go to college, get good grades, make a lot of money, get a good job, have a house with kids and a nice marriage. Like, is that the reason I exist? Because if that is, and I only have a measly 80 years to do that, and I'm just working and saving up money for a good retirement to finally enjoy my life when I'm too old to really enjoy anyway, like, really, is that all there is to life? Is that it? Because that sucks. Really. There has to be more. There has to be so much more than that, right? I didn't know why I existed, and I also didn't know why I had to go through all the things I did in my past. You see, I came from a really broken family. My dad was an alcoholic, and he cheated on my mom for the entirety of the 17 years they were married. He was also very abusive physically and emotionally and verbally. Um, to give you a picture of what my family life looked like, I think um, this kind of sums it up. My earliest memory is... Of, uh, I was sick, and it was before I started school, so I was three or four, and everybody else in the house was gone, and my dad had to stay home from, from work because he had to take care of me since I was sick. So um, I began to feel better throughout the day, and I was like, oh, man, I can play now because I feel better. So I put on um, this pink princess dress that I had. It was like, I know... I thought it was the most beautiful thing ever, but when I look at pictures, because all my family pictures, I wore the same dress because it was my favorite. Um, I know now that the dress is really hideous. It's like 80s style dress. Like it has poofy princess shoulders and like poofy like bubble dress. But I loved it because I felt like the most like pretty princess ever, right? And so I put on my princess dress and I was like twirling around and playing and laughing by myself in the living room. And... Uh, so I was three or four years old, sick, but feeling a little bit better. And all of a sudden, uh, my dad came storming into the living room. And he started to cuss me out and scream at me and say, what the F do you think you're doing? How could you be so stupid? What do you think you're doing out here? You know, I stayed home from work to watch you. And what are you doing? Like, why would you make me stay home from work if you're fine? And um, he basically just chewed me out. And, and I... I didn't even cry. I just remember standing there, just stopping in my tracks. Because um, I remember in that moment just this panic and this terror and this fear and this shock. Because I didn't know what I did wrong. I didn't know if it was 
putting on the dress, if it was twirling around, if it was playing, if it was me laughing too loud, if it was because I woke him up, if it was because he he stayed home from work, was it me having fun, was it me playing? And I, I just started thinking, what did I do wrong? What, like, if I can know what I did wrong, I'll fix it and I'll never do it again. I will never disappoint you again. That's my heart, but I just didn't know. And then, um, then I began to think, I don't think it's any of the things I did. I think maybe it's not something that I did. Maybe it's just me. Maybe the mistake is just me. I was the mistake in this situation. It was just me existing in this house. And um, so from the very beginning, my earliest memories, I lived in this fear. I was afraid of messing up. I was afraid of making my dad mad. I was afraid of saying and doing the wrong thing. I was afraid, so afraid all the time. And so no matter how hard I tried to be perfect for my dad, inside my heart, I just felt this sense that I was the problem. It was like this nagging feeling like there's just something wrong with you as a, as a human being. And um, this message came into my heart that I was unlovable, that I was worthless, and that I was a mistake. So I tried to make myself invisible during my childhood years. I didn't want to be seen or heard by anybody. I developed a paranoia of people, and actually when I started school, they thought I was deaf and mute because I never spoke or responded to people. Like, I never talked. I was extremely afraid of people. And even as I went into middle school, I had such extreme fear of people that I would literally, like, uh, like have a panic attack and cry if I had to speak to a stranger. I was deathly afraid of people. Um, I hated when people looked at me or paid any attention to me or said my name or even complimented me. Like, I remember one time the librarian said, you're such a pretty young girl. And I started weeping because I thought, oh, my gosh, why would she look at me? You know, like, people are going to see me now. And I hated that more than anything. I hated any kind of attention because I hated myself so much. And um, when I went into high school, uh, things began to change. I became a cheerleader. And you guys, I don't know, do you guys know what a cheerleader is? What about the Malaysians in the house? You guys have cheerleaders? Yeah? Okay. Okay, okay, okay. So maybe I should paint a picture of, okay, so like you guys know the American football, right? So, (laughs) so like on the sideline, the girls wearing the short skirts who are just doing useless things on the side, (laughs) those are cheerleaders. They're saying like, go team, go, 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 right? So that's what I did all throughout high school. And, um, if you ever watched American movies like Friday Night Lights or like Remember the Titans or whatever, what you or Bring It On, Bring It On, okay? <laughs> when you watch movies like that, they paint a very funny picture of cheerleaders. Like they're so superficial, they're crazy, they're like you know like really bad things. They do really. So I would say most of it's true. Like my experience personally, those movies do a pretty good picture, paint a pretty good picture of what that looks like. So. I was this really shy girl, and then I, for some reason, found myself on the cheerleading squad. And on the outside, my whole life started to look different. I had all the cool friends. I um, had all the cool boyfriends. It looked like I had everything. And um, I went to the parties. I started dressing differently. I started doing everything differently. I started speaking differently. Everything on the outside changed about Rona. And it looked like I was changing as a person as well. But On the inside, um, I was still the same. I still felt like I could never be enough. And I found, though, 
that if I acted a certain way and put on this facade or put on this show on the outside, um, if I said certain things in a certain way or acted a certain way, uh, looked a certain way, then I could get people to love me. I could get people to give me good attention. I could get people to really let me in, right? I could get relationships with people. And so um, as long as I could keep up this show and as long as they never knew what was on the inside, then everything would be okay. Um, These years, I started to party regularly. I started to smoke weed. I started hooking up with boys at parties um, that I didn't know. I started to drink so much that I would wake up not knowing where I was, not knowing like what I had done, not knowing anything that happened. I was, I was blacking out regularly. Um, one night I was almost hospitalized because I was puking so much blood that they thought I was about to die. And, um, so many crazy things happened, but I knew what I was doing was stupid. I knew what I was doing was kind of bad, but my heart was just so hungry for something. My heart was so hungry for something more. And I was looking for um, something that I knew was out there, but I had never tasted or seen. And I wanted to find out what this something was. I wanted to really live. I wanted to experience life fully. You know, like maybe I had that crazy history with my dad, but now I can really have fun. Now I am free. Now I can experience life fully. And so I thought, this is the way to life. This is the way to really do what I want. It's the guys. It's the drinking. It's the partying. It's all this stuff. That's what really living is, right? That's what living really looks like. The funny thing is, at the same time, um, I was going to church regularly, I grew up in church, actually. Um, at the time that we, my parents moved to America, they weren't believers. And so when I was about seven years old, a lady from Vacation Bible School, anybody know what VBS is? VBS? Okay, all the, the three Americans know. Okay, so um, VBS is actually this, um, it's like a children's ministry in America. So the church will put on this like one month long fun program for little kids. And they'll have all these kids come, and they'll play all these games and, like, try to teach the Bible in a fun, engaging manner for really, really hyperactive children. So um, this lady started to pick me up for vacation Bible school. I didn't know who she was, but she started driving me to church, dropping me off. And I was like, oh, man, free snacks. You know, okay, and there's candy. So I went there, and um, from then on, I attended church regularly. I learned all the Bible stories here in this book. Um, I sung all the hymnals in my Methodist church. I wore my nice church dress every Sunday and I smiled at all the old people when they said, you know, God bless you, like in their, you know, Arkansan way. And, um, honestly though, inside I thought it was all a big joke, really, because really like all I saw was a bunch of people who could do a church thing really well. I saw a bunch of people plaster on these fake smiles and act like everything was okay in their lives. Their fake smiles, just as fake as mine. Like, if you are doing a fake smile, you know when people are also being fake. Like, fake is easy to read, right? So um, I, I just was like, man, all these people know how to say all the right religious things. They all know how to do the right religious things. They know how to uh, look all holy, on the outside, but I don't think I met one person who really loved Jesus in that entire time I went. And now I know, man, there were real believers there. But at that point, I was like, 
does anyone here really know or, or talk about or communicate with this Jesus that you're talking about all the time? Or is this just a big act for everyone, me included, you know? And so um, I didn't see the real, genuine, or unconditional love that I had read about in the Bible, the love that I, I read and heard that God the Father had. I didn't see that in daily life either. And um, this God, this God that was preached from the pulpit, he looked so, in, so disengaged. And so it's not like I didn't go to church or I went to church and just hated the church but loved God. I wasn't like that either. I was like, I don't like the church, and this God is so disengaged, like, if he's really there, then why is he not having anything to do with my life, you know? And, um, you know, did he know that each day I go home to my mom getting beaten? Did he know that each day I go home to my dad cussing out my big brother, making him, you know, not even a human, making him feel less than a human? Did he know the things I have to see every day? Because if he knew, why isn't he doing anything about it? If he's that loving, why isn't he moving? And if he's that real, why are his people so fake? And so for me, church was just a thing you do on Sundays. And um, so my parents uh, finally got a divorce. And then my senior year of high school, my mom became extremely ill. And all the doctors that she went to couldn't find anything wrong until one finally found a brain aneurysm on the verge of rupturing. Um, Does anyone know what an aneurysm is? Okay, so usually when you have an aneurysm, you don't know you have one until you've already died because um, there's no symptoms. And then once it ruptures, that's when you die. So my mom even having symptoms was a blessing because they could catch it. And um, so she was rushed into the emergency room and having an operation on her brain. And uh, she had been a single parent for quite a while now. And so we didn't have much money. She didn't have insurance. Brain surgery is extremely expensive, and so we ended up losing our house, and we were homeless. My dad had um, recently gotten remarried to a 21-year-old woman, and he was going to help us by letting us rent out a house that he owned in our city. But then his wife said, I don't feel comfortable with you helping your old family. So basically he said, never mind, and he kicked us out on the street. And so we were homeless. Uh, We lost everything until my mom's friends took us in. And so my senior year, I, um, we all moved our stuff into my mom's friend's house out way in the countryside. And uh, when I was living in my mom's friend's house, I had to keep it all a secret from my friends and from my teachers, from everyone at church. Because by, the time, by that time, my senior year, I had built up the most perfect outward life the most perfect image for myself, the most perfect reputation. I was captain of the cheer squad, a 4.0 student, president of all these organizations, um, had scholarships lined up to the best universities in my area. I was, I was, I had it all together. And um, it looked like I had everything on the outside, but on the inside, I was so tormented and so in despair. I was just drowning in depression and, um, You know, those years in my childhood, watching my dad storm through the house and destroy everything and everyone in his path, uh, seeing him stagger home drunk, and seeing my mom just waste away in depression and anxiety, um, internally, I started to escape. And it's something I kept doing over and over as, as I got older. I would sense that something was drawing me away from that present reality, that no matter what was happening around me, in my heart, I was just somewhere else. I just checked out. And... Um, even though what I saw around me was the only thing I knew and the only family I'd ever had or known, when I would look around um, inside, my heart would tell me that there was more. 
Like, it's all I, like, it's the only dad I've ever, he's the only dad I ever had. She's the only mom I ever had. This is the only house I've ever had. It's the only life I've ever known. But I knew in my heart, more than I knew anything else, that there had to be something more. That this couldn't be it. This life and what I saw around me, there was more. Like, there had to be more. Like, I exist for more than this. And I was so discontent with what I saw every day. And and I had decided in my heart from a young age, like, I want to find what this more is. I don't know what it is. I haven't seen it, but I know it's there. Because if it's not there, why do I feel this this thing in my heart telling me that there's more, right? And uh, so when I was in high school and at the end of those drunken nights, I would look around me at what I had done. And my heart was so tormented with this same feeling. After I thought, man, I'm living it up, man, I'm, like, doing all this fun stuff, man, I'm partying, man, I'm, like, making relationships with new guys, whatever, whatever. At the end of the night, I still felt that same feeling. Man, is this it? Man, it was, it was fun for that time. But at the end of the night, I always felt, is this really all? Like, is this it too? Is this all? Is this all to this whole living fully, living life recklessly, living like a wild person? Like, it, it can't be it. And um, it's, it's still not the true freedom that I was looking for. You know, those days at school when all eyes were on, when all eyes were on me, when I was achieving and succeeding and people were saying, man, you have such a bright future. You're, you're the top. You're doing so well. There's nothing that's impossible for you. You can shoot among the stars, or whatever that saying is, you know, like, that's on the, the classrooms, like, whenever all the eyes were on me, and I was doing everything right, like, checklist, perfect high school, Arkansan girl, check, 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 that was me, I still felt, man, there has to be more than this, too, man, I still feel like this isn't enough, that I'm not enough, there's still something missing, and this, this something is crucial, because I'm not happy still, And after all that pursuing and manipulating and flirting and games with guys, relationship after relationship would start and then fizzle out. My heart, longing for intimacy and love, um, I I realized that I wasn't finding the real thing in relationships with guys. It's not in boyfriends. It's not in girlfriends. I knew that what I was looking for couldn't be found there either. It's not in those things. And so um, even those nights living in my mom's friend's house, feeling the shame of being homeless, feeling just so much anger and rage that my family was so messed up, feeling so stuck that nothing was going to change, I also felt that same nagging feeling in my heart that there was something more. That life had to be more than a cycle of sin and shame and pain and darkness. I knew that there was more to life than what I saw around me. All those Sundays of my childhood, I would shout out all the right answers and turn to all the right passages in scripture and recite the Apostles' Creed with with exuberance. Um, But I remember just shutting down my heart and my mind every single Sunday. I would literally just say it all and I would be there, but then I was in a completely different place. It's like I did everything like a robot at church. On the inside, though, I was on a quest. There had to be more to life than dead religion. There had to be more to life than the gray dullness inside those four walls of church. There had to be more than this church stuff, too. 
There had to be more than sin, than darkness, than hatred, than unforgiveness, than selfishness, than jealousy, than greed, than lust, than disappointment, than broken promises, than fear. There had to be more. These things filled the only world I had known to that point. But my heart was screaming inside me. It was saying that there is a reality that is truer than, I, than the one I see in front of me. There is a kind of love that is deeper than the kind of love I saw in my family. There is a kind of beauty that can't be expressed in words. There is a kind of, of, of commitment that isn't broken easily. My heart was tormented with this feeling. And I knew there had to be more to life, but I didn't know what that something was. And that's when I came to Korea. Um, I walked into Yonsei's orientation for exchange students, um, really not knowing what to expect. Pastor Christian, uh, Pastor Christian, he used to be the director of Emmaus five years ago. He made an announcement about Emmaus campus ministry, and then I started to go out to their events, like eating gogi and all that stuff. And... Um, <clears throat> I started to go out to large groups, to familias, which are the small groups Emmaus has. I started to go out to New Philly Church. And just like these two men in verse 21, who were walking on the road to Emmaus with their hopes crushed, their dreams crushed, despair filling them, um, and some stranger coming up beside them and having a conversation, that's exactly what happened to me. Ecclesiastes 3, 11 and 12 says, God has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom all that God has done from beginning to end. Do you know why I struggled my whole life with, with discontentedness with what, with what was around me? Do you know why it's so hard to be satisfied? It's so hard to be content. It's so hard to be satisfied with where you are. Do you know why you always want to try new things and go do new things and, and live wildly and, and succeed and be the top or whatever? Do you know that striving feeling in your heart? It's because you have been given eternity. Like eternity resides in your heart. God has put eternity in your heart. And so you're wandering through this, this temporal earth, this earth that's going to waste away with natural things that are going to waste away. And you have eternity placed in your heart and you're longing for eternity. But all you see is things that pass away and people that pass away and a life that passes away. And you are searching for something bigger and greater and more beautiful. And the thing is, the devil keeps getting us to look in all the wrong places. And um, I was walking on a path filled with all this pain from my past and crushed hopes. And little did I know that the road I was walking was the one that God had set up for me from a way, 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 way before I was even born. I didn't know it, but he had set me on my road to Emmaus, just like these men. To discover the more that I was searching for with all of my heart and could never find. I had never tasted this something, this better, but... Um, my heart had been crying out for it from the very beginning. You see, because he set eternity in our hearts, we're not going to be satisfied until we encounter the eternal one. And that the eternal one is Jesus Christ. And so what you're looking for, it can only be found in him. And the thing is, Christianity and cultural Christianity and, and, and so much has made the answer, Jesus, such a cliche word. Oh, go to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you've heard it so much that it's lost its power. But Jesus, this man, he is 
eternity. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He was the one who was with God from the beginning. He was the Word. He was the Word became flesh. He's the eternal one. And he is still the answer. And he's been the answer from the beginning of time. And he's always going to be the answer. And he's always going to be the one we search for. And so don't let the cliche, the the generic, the cultural Christianity Dilute the power of his name and the power of who he is in your life. He is a real man, and he wants to encounter each of us over and over again. And so that's where we get the, past, the, the word Emmaus. <laughs> and um, I just want to talk a little bit about it. There's so many things about Emmaus. There's so many facets about Emmaus. And um, to give you a little bitty picture, though, I want to just talk about two key things that make Emmaus what it is. Okay, So two core things that make up the heart of Emmaus, I guess. And the first one is community. Um, one way that I encountered Jesus was through the people that I started to meet through Emmaus and New Philly. You know, in Luke 24, 30 and 32, this passage, it says that Jesus broke bread with those two men. He basically just chilled and had dinner with them. And um, as he spent time with them, as they were sitting in Jesus' presence, their eyes became open. It's not when they were reading the scripture on the road. It's not when they were walking on the road. But it's when they were just eating together. They were eating bread. That's when their eyes were open and they saw who he was, right? They saw that he was the Christ, the Messiah, and that revelation came upon him. And that's what I also found um, during my semester in Emmaus with this community. When I ate with these people, when I went to Norebang with these people, when I went to Jinjilbang with these people, when I went to Lotte World with these people, when I went to a coffee shop, I just, whatever I did with these people, little did I know it, but Christ was being made known to me through each of them. Um, In some ways, I was afraid of these Emmaus people because they were so different Um, they were so loving and so free and so crazy. Um, so I was kind of taken aback, like what's wrong with them? Are they in some type of happy place? Like, are they, are they all there? Like what's going on? Like, why are they like jumping around and smiling so much and like hugging and touching me all the time? Um, but I was also curious, like, well, this is interesting at the same time. Like I've never met anyone like you. So why are you like that? What's going on? They're so different from all these other people. They had this freedom. They had this joy, they had this confidence, they had this peace that I had never seen in anyone else before. They had such purpose in their lives, and I wanted to know why. And when they talked about this God, they actually believed he was real. When they talked about this scripture, they actually believed it was real, that he was powerful, that God was loving, that he was for them. And I didn't know it at the time, but they were revealing the true nature and character of Christ to me. When they came alongside me, it was actually Christ coming alongside me. It was actually him opening up the scriptures and telling me all about himself. It was through the community that God placed me in. And the first thing that I want to express to you about the heart of Emmaus is community. In this place, the people here, really the only reason that we're here is because we've been loved by God. Um, We can't help but love other people because his love is so strong and his love has changed us so much. And we're all here and we have different stories and different pasts and different pains and different histories. But one thing we have in common that knits us together in unity and in love and in lifelong commitment and relationship is this Jesus. He's the one thing we have in common, but it's the most important thing that we have in common. And all of us can say the same thing, no matter how different we are. The story is we were completely lost. We were completely lost. We were broken. We were messed up. We were downcast, just like these two men. But when we saw this Jesus 
everything began to change. When we saw him for who he really is, everything couldn't stay the same. He saved our lives and he made us new by his love. And he's loved us so completely and so fully and so perfectly that his love just kind of explodes out of us when we see you. That's the reason we're doing it. We're not doing this because it pays well. We're not doing this because we have nothing else to do. We're not doing this for any other reason except that when we see you, we feel the crazy, passionate love of God exploding out of our hearts. That's the only reason. That's the only reason that we're here. And... um. He has filled us with so much life, these people that were so dead and broken once. He's filled us with so much life that when people come near us, they can't help but come alive. It happens over and over and over. And in this room, when you look around, you see, I don't know, like 20 people or whatever. But think about every semester. At Yonsei, we're reaching about 90 people, right? Here, we're going to reach like 50 this semester. But think about every single semester. We ship them all back home after their semester, and we get a brand new batch, right? Every semester, every single semester, people come near to just some, some simple young people who have been radically loved by God, and something inside them changes forever. And there's testimonies from people all over the world, all over the world, saying, my amazed semester, that's when I met God. That's when my life changed, and I can never be the same because of what was shown to me there. And you're here now because God has brought you here too. And something is about to come inside you and come alive in you that you never thought possible. You never expected. You never imagined because he loves you that much. And, um, you know, it really doesn't matter um, what religion you have, if you have a religion, if you don't believe anything at all, if you're a Christian, if you're a Catholic, if you're a Buddhist, whatever, it doesn't really matter. Um, It doesn't matter what history you have, what things you've done or currently are doing, what your dreams are. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. It really doesn't matter because the one agenda that we have here is to love you, is to walk alongside you, is to accept you, and is to, to make you see how amazing you are. How amazing you are that God would set you on this earth, that he would knit you together in your mother's womb. We want to call you to something greater than what you see. We want to call you to dream bigger for yourself, to know that this God is real, that his love is real. And so um, know that in this community, you will be unconditionally loved and fully accepted. And, you know, the first thing the enemy tries to do to our students every semester is to isolate them and to get them to or surround them with unhealthy community, or to get them extremely distracted. Because he knows how good it is here. He knows how potent Emmaus is. He knows how the spirit moves and changes lives here. And so soon our students say, oh man, I, I just, I'm too busy. I have to study. Man, no, there's too much pressure from my parents. I got to make straight A's. Man, no, it's just, I'm so tired. I'm so sick. I'm so whatever, 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 whatever. There's so many reasons why you can't come here. But the reason why you can come here is more than enough. And it's because life is found here. If it wasn't found here, I wouldn't be doing this. She would not be doing this. He would not be doing this. The staff, the student leaders, none of us would be here if it wasn't worth it. The reason to come here, I promise, is greater than the reasons you wouldn't. Know that the enemy will come to kill, to steal, and to destroy, to deceive you. But know that that God has promised life and promised it to the full for you, and you can get it through community, through seeing Jesus manifested through your brothers and sisters, through your leaders. 
This community of people changed me forever. And even after I left and went back to Arkansas, to Missouri, after my semester here, um, my relationships never ended. You see, all around me, this community at Emmaus and New Philly were blessing me. They were all about what they could give me. They wanted to love me, cherish me, pour into me, and they had no expectations, no agenda, no nothing they wanted back. It was just to love me. And that kind of thing is crazy. You don't find that in the world. There's always strings attached to the love of the world. It's like, you give me this, I'll give you this. You do this for me, I'll do this for you. If you, do, if you be good, you'll get rewarded. Whatever, whatever, whatever. But here it's like, no matter what I did, I was loved the same. If I, and I was going through a whole lot that semester. I was like a wreck, right? A crazy crying all the time. But if I was putting on a show and doing my manipulation thing, trying to earn people's love and acceptance, they loved me. And if I sat like a bump on a log and was just the most boring person ever or cried all the time, they loved me the same. Nothing that I could do could make them love me more or less. And they weren't expecting anything in return. And for the first time in my life, I just said, man, I can just be. I can just stop trying and I can just be myself and I can receive this love and I don't have to earn it because God has made me to be loved right by people and so though at first this love really freaked me out um I could definitely say that it really changed my life it changed my life forever these people love me man with God's love and um It was really a glimpse of the Father's unconditional love for each of us. And it was really a glimpse of of what Jesus dying on the cross is all about. It's an undeserved gift of his grace and of his love so that we could have life. And so in this community, know that that's what you're going to find. You're not expected to do anything. We don't want anything out of you. We're going to always invite you to come out because we know how good it is. But it's not like if you come, you're loved. And if you don't come, you know, oh, we hate you. It's like we only want you to come because we love you, you know. And so know that you're not expected to do anything. You just got to show up and be yourself. Um, And so that's the first thing, community. And the second thing about Emmaus that I want to share with you quickly is encounter. Um, During my semester here, about this time five years ago, I went to the Emmaus semester retreat. And we're actually going to talk about that later. But um, Pastor Christian preached a message, and then he began to pray for students and actually lay his hand on our heads and pray for us, which is something I had never experienced before. He prayed that we would get filled with God's spirit, that we would get filled with the spirit of the living God. And when he laid his hand on my head, like this, and he prayed, something crazy happened to me that I had never experienced before. So brace yourself, okay? Um, <clears throat> you see, as soon as he laid his hand, his hand on my head, I started to see all these pictures, like a vision, playing in my head, one picture after one picture after one picture after one picture playing. It was like every abusive and pain-filled part of my life, every time my dad cussed me out, every time I saw my mom getting beaten, every time I was doing sinful things myself and hurting others, it was like all playing in my head like a movie that I couldn't turn off. It kept, me pl- it kept playing over and over, and even scenes of suppressed memories and sexual sins came up that I had like, just lodged away somewhere in the numbness of my heart. And my whole life, I had just been able to suppress this stuff and get it out of the way and think about other things or numb myself. But this time, it, I couldn't. I couldn't escape the weight of all this stuff. It's like I had to look at my entire heart, the worst parts of who I was, and I was forced to just sit there and watch one by one. 
And I remember just falling to the ground and crying because I hadn't cried for years before that retreat. I had um, stopped feeling happiness or real pain. I stopped feeling in general, so I didn't cry anymore. And at that point, though, it was like all the emotion that I hadn't felt for years just came in one moment. And all my, the weight of my sin, my shame, my pain just fell on me. And um, I saw every single part of my heart. And though it was painful to see all of this stuff, what happened to me at the retreat changed my life forever. Because the Holy, when the Holy Spirit fills you up, uh, everything changes. The Holy Spirit's job is to reveal Christ and what he's done on the cross for us. The word of God says that truth sets you free, only truth. And we know that the word of God is the only truth there is, right? And so um, we know that Jesus is the word became flesh. And so what happened was the Holy Spirit just began to do a lot of setting free in my heart. He began to make this word of God, this truth, became, become real through Christ on the cross. He began to show me what the cross really meant. It meant that all that stuff I don't have to carry anymore. All that shame, all that pain is not mine anymore. And that all along the way, Christ was with me. Every lash, every nail-pierced hand, everything that he went through, and the torment and the anguish that he experienced, it's because he loved me and because... Of that, I don't have to go through this, and I don't have to carry this for the rest of my life. And um, <clears throat> so when Pastor Christian prayed for me, I really encountered Christ, Jesus. The word became flesh, the word that is truth. And um, what God did to me at this retreat was he filled me with his spirit and his light. John 1, 4 says, in Christ was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. When you experience Christ, crazy things start happening in your heart because you start getting uncomfortable with sin. You start getting uncomfortable with the old way of doing things, with your old habits, with your old patterns, with, with the things that you've done to people. You just get bothered by it because light exposes darkness and light always defeats darkness. And when, when you experience Christ in your heart, he fills you and floods you with his light. And it's amazing. It's like, it's like spring cleaning in your heart. So, um, you know, we only see in the natural and, um, we see like this, this podium and our chairs and our neighbor or whatever, but there's also a spiritual reality that's so much realer than what we see with our physical eyes. And there is an enemy whose sole desire is to separate you from the love of God. That's his sole purpose in existing is to separate you from knowing God. That's only reason why he's doing what he's doing. And he will do anything he can to kill, to steal, to deceive us into thinking that, that we're worthless, into thinking that we're, we should be full of shame, into thinking that we're supposed to be separate from God. Um, you know, but in Luke 24, 32, it says, um, the two men were saying, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures up to us? You see, their, their hearts started to burn with passion, with purpose, with love, and everything began to change. No longer are their faces downcast and dejected. No longer are the, the, is the voice of the enemy, the deception, the sin, the weight of their past. No longer is that coming on their hearts anymore. But now their hearts are on fire. Now their hearts are full of passion. And they can't help but run back to their homes and proclaim all that Christ has done. Psalm 27 says, um, and it's the passage I read earlier, One thing I ask of the Lord and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to seek him in his temple. My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. 
What happened to me and what happened to these two men when they saw Jesus um, is the second thing that makes Emmaus what it is, and that's encounter with Jesus Christ. It's what this ministry is all about. It's finding out that this Jesus is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's discovering that the whole reason we exist is to encounter him. At my Emmaus retreat, when I met Jesus, my pain and shame and wounds and fears were burned away in the fire of his love, and I found myself standing in God's perfect and loving presence, fully accepted and loved as a daughter of God, with full access to the resources of heaven and the kingdom. God showed me that there was never a moment in my life that he was apart from me. He showed me that Jesus was walking alongside me every step of my life, and that he had been drawing me to him every single day. That this moment in time was something he had planned and looked forward to from, from before the beginning of time. When I encountered God that day, he set my heart on fire and I walked away with a new life. And that question that had been burning in my heart my whole life, what am I here for? That feeling that there had to be more, it was finally answered. It was God that I had been looking for all along. The more that I was searching for, the more that my heart was crying out for all my life, it's found only in encounter with Jesus. The enemy tries to deceive us into thinking that true life and happiness is found in so many other things. But it's complete deception, and it's going to lead to death. I came here dead inside because I had followed all those deceptions, all those desires. The enemy will get you so distracted and pulled so many different ways that you can't sit still for one moment and be in God's presence. I went down so many paths. I tried so many things searching for meaning and purpose. And what I want to make clear is that religion is a very different thing than Jesus, than knowing him. It doesn't matter if you've been to church your whole life. It really doesn't because I was at church my whole life. It doesn't matter if you've never been to church. My question is, have you met Jesus? Do you know him? Have you heard his voice? Have you seen his face? Do you know the depths of anguish and torment he experienced on the cross on your behalf, personally, you? Do you know the great love he has for you? John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life. What's eternal life, guys? What is it? What is life? This is eternal life. So it tells us, all right, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That they know you. To really live is to know God. We were made for one thing and only one thing can satisfy our hearts. And that is to look upon the face of God. The more you were made for, the more that you were made for is intimacy with him. He has set eternity in your hearts and eternal life is found only in knowing him. The point of our lives, the reason we exist is to see his face. To see the face of Christ, his eyes of fire and longing and love and passion looking at you and loving you completely as you are, as you are. This is the place that life is found. Um, And this is also the place where our hearts are set on fire. When I encountered Jesus on my own road to Emmaus, everything changed. And that's what we see every single semester. Um, Honestly, guys, like... You may not know what you got yourself into, but we do. Because it's what we do. It's what we do. Like, this is what we sign up for. Like, this is my job. I don't have a job. You guys know what I do? I come to campus. I drink coffee with you guys. I hear your story. I tell you mine. 
and I talk about Jesus. And then I come here, I worship with you guys, I talk about Jesus. And then, like, honestly, this is what I do. And so I know, I look at your face, you're slightly frightened, you're not really sure, you're a little bit tired because it's getting warm in here, and I've been talking for a long time. And you know, dang, I got a busy semester, people want me to go here and there, you're not sure that this is all it's cracked up to be. But let me tell you, I know, because I've seen people just like you, and I know the desire of your heart is to see and to know him. In Emmaus, we have a vision statement. Actually, this strapping man of God right here, he and I actually created it together at an Emmaus retreat about a year ago. We were sitting on a bed, and we're like, do you know the gravity of the situation? We are writing a vision statement that is going to be tight. Like, it was so funny. But anyway, okay, but we wrote one, and then Pastor Aaron didn't like it, so she changed the entire thing. But, um, but the first um, point in the vision statement is we believe we were made for more. And during my semester abroad, Jesus came alongside me, and I got a revelation of this more, okay? This more that he had in store for me. And my life has never been the same for the past five years. And this semester, you have many decisions to make. You have an entire semester, or for some of you, four years. Um, And whether you're here for just one semester or a longer time, basically, you have been set by God on your road to Emmaus, And you have been set here with so much design and purpose. God has orchestrated it so that randomly you will get a Facebook message in time. You will see Rona. You will see someone walking on campus. And you're here because he's set it all in place. And Christ has come alongside you and wants to walk with you. God the Father longs to encounter you. He longs to tell you who you really are. He longs to reveal his true and precious promises to you. And he wants to set your hearts on fire so you will never be the same. We believe that you students, that you were made for so much more. You were made for so much more than you can imagine. You were meant to live an extraordinary life. You were meant to be a miracle. It's not just my story, and it's not just the staff's story. It's not just a couple student leaders, but every one of you were meant to be a miracle. You were meant to set people free. You were meant to inherit the nations. You were meant to release the kingdom of God every place that you step your foot. You were meant to gaze upon the beauty of God. You were meant to see his face. You were meant to have a heart that's set on fire. And as you walk on this path with us step by step, expect God to show up in the mundane, in the simple things, in your day-to-day life. Expect your life to never be the same. We believe you were made for more because God believes you were made for more. Because he created you for more. And I know that many of you guys are struggling with this. I know that where you guys are right now, the age, where you are in Korea, where you are in school, where you are, there's so many things that are telling you opposite. That it's looking, it's like going to look downhill. The economy, the job market, your parents, your peers, your GPA, all this stuff, whatever, is telling you the opposite. That you're not made for more. That you're trash. That you're worthless. But the word of God is true. And this is why we do what we do, because we believe it with our whole hearts. Um, Yeah. So those are the two things that I wanted to share about Emmaus, and that's also my story. Um, And so now I just want to pray with you guys. Um, I want you guys to all close your eyes. If we can get some some music and some dimmage of the lights. Thanks. Yeah, I just want you to close your eyes and... and, um, I know that I shared a lot. I know I shared a lot of my story. And I know that your stories may be very different from my story. Um, Many of you weren't abused by your parents. Many of you had different um, practical things that happened to you. But 
Um, what I do know is that desire in my heart for something more, that searching, that longing, that discontentedness, I know that that is the same for every person that I've ever met. And I know that some of you guys are also struggling. As I meet with you guys one, one by one, I know that there are relationships in your life um, There is this desire to be accepted by your peers, by a community here, by your family, by your friends. It's like this longing to be approved by people. I know that others of you, um, your families, especially you Korean, you Gyopos, um, your families have put this immense pressure on you. That you are worthy dependent on your GPA. You are worthy dependent on how much money you can make for us. You are worthy if you can take care of us. You are worthy if you get a good job. You are worthy if you are successful. And I know that that kind of pressure, what it's really killing is creativity. And what it's killing is inspiration. And what it's killing is this desire in your heart to explore and to be free. I know that others of you are just looking for real life. You just got to Korea. You're, you're young. You're free. You're away from family. You just want to go to the club. You want to go to the party. You want to drink. You want to just have fun with people. And it's not a big deal because you're young, right? And you just want to live. And let me tell you that I did that. I've been there. And it may be fun. I'm not going to tell you not to do anything, but what I'm going to tell you is you're going to be disappointed if it's what you're looking for. If, if what you're looking for is truth and life and freedom, it's found in one place. You don't have to be approved by man because God has already accepted and approved you. You don't have to be approved by your parents because God has already accepted and approved you. He has called you his sons and his daughters, and he has placed eternity in your hearts. He has made you for an amazing future and a destiny that you can't fathom. Especially the Wetuks in the room, the, the Gyopos who are from all over the world. I've been hearing so many stories from you guys about how it's such a struggle to be here. You don't want to be in Korea. You hate being at SNU where your classes are all in Korean and you have to barely get by. You feel like all you can do is just struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle. But the thing about you, you Gyopos, you Wetuks, is that I believe that God has really chosen you guys to do something special. You're from all over the world. You speak three, at least three different languages. You guys are, are in the natural, the weak things. But God uses the weak things to shame the wise and the strong. And he's going to use you guys to bring revival to this campus. He's going to use you guys to pour out his fire and his love and his spirit on this campus But do you believe the promises he's, he's written in this book? Do you believe the promises he's written for your life? Because he's made you for more. You just have to say, God, I'm ready for it. So what I want to say to you is welcome to Emmaus. Welcome to Emmaus. Welcome to your road of encounter. Welcome to your road of encountering Christ.